glad you're here this morning. You can find your seats and um, we are going to start a new series. So uh, we've got most, of, I've got most of the calendar done for the year of what we're going to be going through. Uh, just uh, some highlights. We're going to do 2 Timothy for the next several weeks. And uh, then we're going to do the book of Ruth uh, kind of over the uh, uh, February holidays, uh, the February Valentine's Day. We're going to do the book of Ruth. And then um, we're going to do a book, I don't know what, and then Deuteronomy. We're going to do Luke in the fall and then something kind of around the Christmas time. So there's still a couple of slots I'm trying to figure out and pray through. But that's kind of what we're going to be covering this year. That's online, too. If you go online and look at kind of where where we're going, the series guide stuff's there for you to take a look and see what we've covered before, what we're heading towards. Um, Now, I don't know about you, but... You know, when snow happens like this and everybody panics, you know what I mean? And they go out and get the eggs and milk and, you know, oh my goodness. And we do the opposite. Like, we forgot to get all that stuff and woke up the morning of the snowstorm and like, oh, we don't have any eggs. Oh, well, we have a little milk. Well, like, we have enough to eat cereal. Like, and then it's like, oh, it'll be fine. You know, we can melt snow. I, I, you know, we got water to drink. Anyway, I think of times like that and people in their panic. And it kind of fits with what we're going to be talking about through the book of 2 Timothy. Because the book of 2 Timothy is, is um, Paul's second letter to Timothy, and he's talking about last days, right? And you can kind of see that looks like a snowstorm coming. You like that? Like where it looks like it's all coming, and it's, we didn't know there was going to be a snowstorm when Luke made these graphics. But like, it's this idea that Paul's in his last days. And when people are in their last days, what they really value comes to light. Right? Like what's really important, you find out about. If you go visit them in the hospital, if you talk to them, the the things they're concerned about really come to light. And if you ask the people around them, you'll find out really quickly what they were about in their lifetime. Like it's just something about when people are coming to the end of their life, their last days, we really find out what they were really about most often. Right? Like it, it comes out and you hear stories and different things, or the opposite's true, and you don't hear anything. Because people are like, well, I don't have anything good to say. So it's like the silent funeral where no one says anything and the pastor preaches and then it's done. You're like, wow. You know? So Paul is writing to Timothy a second letter. The first letter he wrote to Timothy, he wrote to him because Timothy was pastoring a church and Paul had been sent out. He left Timothy to pastor while he went. And did some more church planting. And he wrote Timothy a letter saying, hey, I know you're having a hard time. People don't want to believe the message. They don't want to believe what the Bible has to say. And so he writes his first letter. And it's probably one of the most foundational documents we have for church. First Timothy is. But now Paul finds himself in prison for the last time. He's going to be executed by Nero. He knows it. He knows he's coming to the end. He knows that it's over. And he wants to write one more time to his spiritual son, Timothy. And he wants Timothy to know how he feels about him. He wants Timothy to know what he's lived his life for. He wants Timothy to understand and fight for the things that are important. And so Paul takes the time in his cell, in his jail to write this letter and have it delivered to Timothy. And it's not like delivering today. This would have had to have been given and traveled and treacherous times and to take the letter. And if someone would have been caught with the letter, they probably would have been killed because they were executing Christians at this time. This was a dangerous endeavor for us even to have this letter is amazing. But we have it. 
And Timothy, obviously we have it because Timothy received it and he held on to it. It was probably one of those things that when Timothy came to the end of his life, he's, this letter is so important and he's handing it off to the next person, right? And so if we think about kind of the last days and people think we're in the last days, the Bible says we actually are in the last days. We've been in the last days ever since Christ ascended to heaven, right? He died, he was resurrected, he ascended to heaven and he said we were in the last days. We're still in the last days 2,000 years later. Still the last days, okay? And we're going to look at that in a second, a passage of Scripture that talks about that. But this morning, what I want to look at, and as we start out and we understand, kind of the first thing that Paul talks about to Timothy is this, and that is to guard. What is it that you guard with your life? Like, like it's the thing that, like, you just, you guard this. Like, you don't want anybody touching it. It's in a lockbox. No kids can touch it. Like, it's mine. Like, it's the thing that, like, you, I'm guarding this, right? For some of us, that happens at mealtime, right? Like, this is, I'm, you're not touching this. Whatever it is, what you guard really does expose what you think you need and what's most important to you. The things that you lock up and protect, and it just tells what you guard, and we tend to be very guarded. We don't want people to necessarily see the things unless we want people to see them. And so as Paul's writing, Paul is kind of just laying it all out for Timothy. He's using people's names in this letter, like people that have fallen away from the faith, people that are dangerous, people he needs to watch out for. And he's trying to tell Timothy, I'm trying to help you be set up to guard the church, to help guard the faith that has been entrusted to you because it's precious and you guard the things that are precious, especially when you see tragedy coming, the last days, terrible things. And that's kind of where we find our story. And in the Bible, when Paul uses this word guard, he uses a word that would specifically be used for a Roman guard. And if you know anything about Roman guards, Roman soldiers or Roman guards gave their life for Rome. And if they didn't, they were just executed. There wasn't like an option. Like, well, today I decided I didn't want to fight. I decided I didn't want to go out and be with the other people and fight. Like, today I'm just going to sit down and not worry. Done. The other soldiers were to execute a soldier who did not do their job. Now, Paul's not telling Timothy to do that. But the word guard carries with it some connotations that in our culture it just doesn't carry. Right? It's just different. And so as we look at this... We dive in. This is what Hebrews says about the last days. Hebrews 1.1, the book of Hebrews, is a book written talking about ancient times. It's talking about how all the Old Testament applies currently and forever. That's what the book of Hebrews is about. It kind of lays out the foundation of the entire scripture being on the person of Jesus Christ. And Hebrews 1.1 says, Long ago God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And God has appointed him, that's his son, Jesus, heir of all things and made the universe through him. So he says, not only is this, this isn't a new thing. It's not like God decided to change plans and now I'm going to make Jesus the focal point of everything in these last days. It's like, no, that was the foundational plan since the beginning of the universe. That's what this verse says. Like this has been... The last day was already decided when the first day started. And he says, 
The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. You see, the author of Hebrews, which probably was Paul, we're not sure, but most likely Paul, the author of Hebrews is saying, look, this is all about God's whole intention, God the Father, his entire intention was for his full radiance to dwell on his son. His full intention was that all this would go out and that that, that his son himself would be the exact expression of his nature. But the reason people, the Hebrews, rejected his son was because that's not what they were looking for. They were looking for a nature from the heavenly father of judgment, of wrath against their enemies. They weren't looking for someone who would come with compassion and mercy and confidence and power and hold back that power to extend love and grace and then die in people's places. They couldn't embrace that because they had missed the nature of God which is what we do often. We have a certain way we want God to be, a certain way we think he should act, and that's our box, and if he doesn't fit it, then we go find another God to fit the box. And that's exactly the author of Hebrews is saying, look, we are in the last days. Jesus said he is going to come back once all ethnos, ethnicities have had a chance to hear. Once every ethnic group has been touched, Christ is going to come back. That's That's scripture. And so, we, so you can get caught up in is the last days, like, is this it? When America falls, it's, it's all over? No, God may raise up another nation. Just be honest, I have no idea. American could collapse, completely gone, poof. And he'll just raise up somebody else if he wants to, if he's not ready yet, if the mission hasn't been fulfilled, because that's what he's been doing through all hu- human history. See, we think we're so important that, that it's all about me and mine and what I do and And Paul's writing this letter to Timothy saying, be careful because there are people to watch out for. In his first letter, this is what Paul writes in his first letter to Timothy. He says, as I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach different doctrine. In other words, that Hebrews verse says it was all about the word, which is the son. And he said there's different doctrines being taught that aren't good, that aren't biblical. And I instructed you to stay in Ephesus, not so you could like love people and be a good person, but because there are people that need to be corrected because they don't believe correctly about Scripture. That's why he tells him to stay. And then he says, or pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. Don't we love a good discussion that like leads nowhere, right? Don't we love just the endless possibilities? You want to know how I know we love it? ESPN. ESPN is nothing but a station of endless possibilities and commentators talking about endless possibilities of players, teams, stats, you name it. Who's going to be the greatest, not the greatest, who was. And that's all ESPN is like all myths and endless genealogies. Like that's, it is, and we love it. We eat it up. It's like, oh yeah, maybe, and you know, and we don't have to do anything with it. We just watch it, eat our Cheetos, and leave the house. Like, does it change us? Does not affect our life? And Paul's like, Timothy, can I be honest with you? There's a lot of people, and I left you the first time in Ephesus because there were people who want to treat this relationship with the God of the universe that way, and that's not the way it works. He goes on, and he tells him this at the end of 1 Timothy. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding irreverent, empty speech and contradictions 
from the knowledge that falsely bears that name. In other words, there are people who are acting knowledgeable and all they're doing is stirring the pot to mess people up, to get away from the truth about who God is. And all they're doing is these endless things and new knowledge and a new book and a new this. Not, well, what does Scripture say? What has God been saying for all of human history? Let's go back and see what he had to say, not what your interpretation of what he had to say. Now, your interpretation may match up. But can I tell you, we live in the middle of this. If this, this book couldn't be more relevant to us today, it couldn't be. In the mess that we're in and everybody looking and, to be honest, looking and saying maybe it is the last days. I mean, this week, something just broke my heart this week. And I wasn't angry. I didn't get angry about it. it just, I told, my, told Susan yesterday, we were talking, and I said, this week I, I saw an article of a 10-year-old boy who's been raised by his mother to be transgender. Most scientists believe you don't decide on your gender until your teens, and yet this woman has allowed him to, to dress in drag, be transgender, and the, and the cover of the magazine is him with another transgender male who's completely naked except covering a little bit of his private parts, and they're hugging each other laughing. If I went out and took my clothes off and touched a child, I'd be in prison, and I should be. But that's celebrated on the front of a national magazine. That should break your heart. It shouldn't make you angry, and I'm going to get them. There should be something in you that says, that's just, that breaks my heart. That, that, that can't be right. We, we've gone too far. God, when are you going to come back and fix this? And I know when you do come back, it's probably not going to go well for me either because there are things I haven't fixed. You're not just going to judge them. You're going to come back and judge everything about me as well. And so that should humble us, should break our hearts. And that's why Paul's writing this letter to Timothy. It's his last days. He's giving Timothy all of the heart he has left because he knows this may be the last time he ever sees him, ever hears from him. Here's how the letter starts. It says, Paul. An apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, for the promise of life in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy, peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Can I just tell you that that statement right there should overwhelm you? Let me tell you why. What Paul is saying is, Paul's saying, Paul, an apostle, someone that didn't choose this job. I was appointed to this. I didn't have a choice. It was either die or do the job that God called me to do when he was on the road to Damascus. He said, I'm an apostle. And then he says, and this is beautiful. Don't miss this. He says, an apostle of who? Which God? Which ideology? Which knowledge? Of the Messiah who is Yahweh saves by Yahweh's will. This couldn't be more Old Testament and more overwhelming to the hearers that are hearing this. And Paul repeats that three times. He goes on to say, for the promise of life in the Messiah, who is Yahweh saves. To Timothy, who is my dearly loved son, from Yahweh, who is the Father, and the Messiah, who is Yahweh saves, who is Yahweh. I mean, you can't get more like Old Testament, more like words in there, like compact, like let me make this 
really clear to you who we're talking about and how this story is supposed to work. There is one God, Yahweh, and he has one son who is Yahweh saves is his name, and he's everything. And I'm going to say it three times, three different ways to get you to see that that's how my letter is going to start to you. And the reason he starts it that way, folks, is because there were people that were twisting this. They were saying that the son wasn't equal to the father. They were saying that, no, Jesus wasn't the only way to salvation. He isn't the only Yahweh saves. He's just one of the Yahweh saves. They were so twisted. So he starts out from the beginning, and he's like, let me just lay it out for you. Here it is. And, man, he starts from here and just keeps going. He's like, this is what the entire book's about. It's all about this, Timothy. And he says, you're my dearly loved son, just like, you ready for this? The son loves his father. I love you. Wow. That's powerful to be told, look, I want my love for you. I want you to understand that my love, my joy, everything, is, I love you so much that it's a reflection when I pray of the Father and the Son. And we are so good together. Like, this is what God wanted. And, and hear me, Paul separated from Timothy. He left him and went on missionary journey for three years, and then he left him again, came back, left him again, and he's been in prison for the last four years. You see, when you truly love someone and you're about the gospel, often those loved ones will leave you to go accomplish the mission of making sure people know that Yahweh saves who is the Messiah. That's what you're going to go out and do. And so Paul knows this. He's not saying, hey, you need to, you, I, just, I just so want to be around you all the time. He's getting ready to ask him to come visit. But that's after four years. He hasn't talked to Timothy in four years. You would say, in our culture, we'd be like, he didn't love him. He hasn't even talked to him in four years. What a jerk. No. I know what you're doing, and I know your faithfulness. And then he says, grace, mercy, and peace. Those are huge, huge words. Because whenever you use the name of Yahweh in the Old Testament, the people of Paul and Timothy's day expected judgment because that was a name you didn't utter. They were careful with that name. And so when you hear that name, all of a sudden it's like, oh, and then he's going to say, and grace and peace mercy to you. It's like, well, that's not how I really view the Old Testament. Yahweh, Yahweh is going to save us. Like, I, I don't really view him that way. And Paul's like, oh, you better. Because that's who he is. He extends his mercy. He extends his grace. And he desires peace with us. That's what he desires. If we reject it, all he has left is his full character of his holiness and judgment. He goes on and he says this, I thank God. I thank Yahweh. I thank the God of gods, the one who is and is to come. I thank him whom I serve with a clear conscience. Let me ask you, do you serve God with a clear conscience? That, that's a hard thing sometimes. To sit and, and really evaluate your life and be like, so how did Paul, how was he able to have a clear conscience? Because he believed in grace. He believed in love and peace. He was able to serve with a clear conscience because he knew how to confess his sin and allow God's grace and, and mercy to wash over him and he knew how to respond to it. 
He wasn't perfect. Paul was not perfect. He even says that when you read Romans in the do-do passage, right? When he says, what I want to do, I don't do. And what I do need to do, I don't do. And it's the do-do passage. And he's arguing. He's saying, I... It's the way it is. It's the same with you. But Paul still has a clear conscience. He's like, look, I've lived my life. I've served. I've preached the gospel. I've raised you up. I've discipled men. I've sent them out. I got a clear conscience at the end of my life. Let me ask you, if you were to die today, do you have a clear conscience before God? Are you ready like Paul to stand and say, my conscience is clear? I've confessed everything I know to confess, and I know that I have grace, I know he forgives me and my conscience is clear. I'm ready. That's what Paul's saying to Timothy. And wouldn't that be such an encouraging thing to hear from one of your loved ones who's dying? For them to look at you and grab your hand and say, son, I just want you to know my conscience is clear and I'm ready to go be with my Savior. Wow. Goes on and he says, I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did. Now he's even going all the way back, like all the way to Abraham. When I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Paul is in prison. He is not being treated well. He knows he's going to the end of his life. And he is spending night and day praying. This was convicting for me when I read this. Because I thought to myself, how do I kind of do my day when I'm sick? When I'm not feeling well, what does my day look like? When things aren't going well, what does my day typically look like? Can I confess that it's not I want to just pray and seek God? It's more about me and why I'm not well and what I can do and which medicines online will get me healthy. And it's not wrong to pray about those things, to do those things. Paul's heart is like, man, I just want to pray for the church and pray for you. And he goes on, he says, remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I might be filled with joy. You know, people say, well, men don't cry. Men shouldn't cry. Looks like Paul and Timothy spent a lot of time crying together, probably weeping over the brokenness of the cities they served in and the people they ministered to and their own brokenness. They probably wept because the last time, I'm sure, Paul saw Timothy, he gave him a hug. He said, stay in Ephesus. I love you. Goodbye. Not knowing if he'd ever see him again or ever come back or ever write him again because that's how Paul lived his life. And so there were tears when they embraced for the last time. This wasn't sending your kid to college. This was, we're separating maybe forever. And they have this love and respect for one another. He says, clearly recalling your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois, then in your mother Eunice, and that I am convinced is also in you, Timothy. We don't have any idea what happened to Timothy's dad, whether he left him, whether he passed away. We know he was Greek. We know that. His father was Greek. Beyond that, we know nothing about Timothy's father. Some of you were raised without fathers. Maybe you had a bad father. Maybe Timothy had a dad, but he wasn't worth mentioning. I don't know. But can I just tell you that God will use whatever faith you pour into others for his glory. And Paul makes sure to mention and remind young Timothy, buddy, young Timothy, this ain't about you. You had a grandma and a mama that prayed and taught and loved you 
and turned you over to me so that you could travel with me for over a decade and risk your life. That's powerful. How many moms would entrust themselves to a, to a missionary and say, here's my son at 14, 16 years old, probably how old Timothy was. He's yours. You raise him for the next 10 years. See, that's faith. That's a belief that this gospel is true. Is when you're willing to surrender, you ready for this? What you would guard most for the sake of the gospel. And Lois and Eunice surrendered what they would have guarded with their life the most, their son and their grandson, so that Christ could be made known. And you ready for this? So that 2,000 years later, we can read about his life. Paul's like, remember, Timothy, this just isn't about us. There's a heritage that goes way back. God has been doing a work that we have to remember and thank him for and pray that he will continue to do. And Paul says, you've got to remember and pray and thank God for that. You see, when I get in those points when I feel sick and I'm not praying or when I'm just, what I, you know why? Because I'm focused on me. But when you begin to focus on our heavenly father and all his family members and what they've done to bring you to where you're at, it humbles you pretty fast. And all of a sudden, you go from someone who's grumbling and complaining and wondering, why me, to being someone who begins to rejoice and think, why me? Thank you. See, that's what Paul's reminding Timothy. He says, look, I'm going to leave, and you need to be reminded of this because it's going to be hard for you, Timothy. You're trying to grow a church in Ephesus. It's a city full of idols. you got people that won't listen. you got false teachers that are attacking you and attacking the church. The Roman Empire has declared Christianity illegal, and they're coming after you. I need to remind you that this is nothing new. This has been going on for a long time. He goes on, and he says, the next passage, therefore I remind you to keep ablaze the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. He says, therefore, in light of all that history, our ancestors, your grandma, your mom, in light of all of it, remember to keep ablaze. This isn't, oh yeah, a little fire, a little light in the corner. No, like God is trying to work and move through humanity and through you, Timothy. Keep that idea ablaze. Don't lose that awe. Don't lose that. He goes, specifically the gift that's in you through the laying on of my hands. This is something we barely do anymore. See, we, we've come to a place in Christianity where whatever I decide my spiritual gift is, it's my gift and I can go out and do it. The Bible says that there's a way through the body of Christ you discover your gifts. There's a way that people look at you and other people and say, yes, that is your gift. And we're doing a terrible job of that. Even in our church, we struggle with that. Part of that reason, or you want to be honest, is because people won't receive the teaching. You want to know how I know that? American Idol. You ever watch the show? The ones that don't make it? And they start singing, and like almost everyone's like, well, my church... My grandma and my mother, they told me I could sing, and they can't sing a lick. And you're like, oh, my gosh, I just want to turn this. I can't. I feel so bad for this person. Now, some of us are a little more, um, I don't know how to phrase this, a little more want to feel better about ourselves, so we watch it. Like, I'm glad that's not me, right? But the sad reality is at some point, no one looked at them with enough love to say, this this is called a tuner. Sing a note. 
It didn't register. You can't sing. Love you. Let's find something else you can do. Instead, they encouraged them in something that they weren't supposed to be doing. And we do this all the time, either by ignoring like, I just keep, just keep doing it. I don't want to confront that. I don't want to risk the relationship. You just keep doing it. Hopefully, hopefully you'll learn. Or we encourage things that people aren't good at. You see, he's saying, look, you remember that when I laid hands on you, it wasn't just me. There was an elder body. There was a group laying hands on you saying, we see the gift in Timothy. We see who he is, how he's been raised. Like, it was this beautiful picture of, like, he's going to go out and lead. It's what we do when we commission missionaries in our church or pastors or leaders. It's like we're commissioning, we're sending them out. They're a part of us. They're not just some other thing. And then he says, for God has not given a spirit of fearfulness, but of one of power and love and sound judgment. Can I just be honest with you? You guard what you fear. You guard what you fear. If you fear being found out and your sin being found out, you'll guard that at all costs. If you're afraid of your kids dying, you will guard them at all costs. You'll keep them in the house and never let them go out. You'll never let them shoot a gun, never do anything dangerous. Because you get hurt, you'll put your eye out, right? Little BB gun, Red Rider. Because I got to keep them safe. See, that's exactly, Paul's, Paul. 2,000 years ago, is writing to Timothy and saying, hey, that's a, that's, a, that's a struggle. Remember, don't live fearfully. You need to fear God. You need to have awe of him. And that's why he says, for God's not given us a spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't make us fearful. The Holy Spirit gives us confidence in the midst of our fear. That's what he does. And then he says, and you'll know that you have that power. You'll know that you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, that you're using your gift, because there'll be a sense of like God's power through you. Not like look at me, but look at him. He's working through his power. You're going to actually have compassion and love for people because of your gift. It's going to change your actions. And then he says, and you're going to have sound judgment. You're going to make different decisions, different judgments with your life as the Spirit fills you up. And he's saying, Timothy, I've seen that in you, and I just keep going. Keep that ablaze. And he goes on, and he says, because you don't have a power of fearfulness, here's how you'll know you don't have a power of fearfulness. Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Don't be ashamed about what's true about human history about who Jesus is. Never be ashamed of that. That is the most important, awesome, incredible message on the face of the planet. There's no way to have power, love, grace, mercy, any of the things we long for without this relationship. And he says, or of me his prisoner. Whew. Now this stings. See, it's one thing to say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, I believe. It's another thing to put your neck on the line for someone else that you know is a sinner. See, Paul's sitting in prison. He's getting ready to tell us there's a lot of people who abandoned him. You want to know why they abandoned him? Because God would never put someone in prison. I mean, if God really loved you, you'd have the best life you could have, and you'd be blessed, and you'd have houses and stuff. Like, that's, that's God's blessing. This is not, being in prison, obviously Paul did something wrong. Because people don't go to prison unless they did something wrong. And there were a bunch of people that had abandoned Paul because they said, 
He would have gotten out of prison by now if he hadn't really done something. The Romans must know something we don't know. But not Timothy. Timothy had continued to be faithful to Paul, continued to know that he was there for the right reasons, that Paul was sharing the gospel. Paul was writing the New Testament in prison. That's why we have the New Testament, because Paul chose to stay in prison. Had he not stayed in prison, he wouldn't have written, because he wouldn't have time to write. To write, sorry. He wouldn't have time to write, okay? It wouldn't have happened. God knows what he's doing. But in the meantime, everybody else has abandoned him. Listen, if you have a family member in prison, have you visited them? No, it's shameful. You don't want to talk about it. It's kind of like you only want to talk about the good stuff. Let's not talk about the prisoner in the family. That's kind of, we try not to really deal with that. Like we don't really know what to do. He says he's innocent. We, I'm not sure we believe, we don't know. No, you want to talk about the good stuff. You want to talk about the doctor in the family. You want to talk about the engineer. You want to talk about, you know, all the grandkids in the family. That's what you want to talk about. You don't want your family to be prisoners. And Paul's writing Timothy and saying, thank you for not being ashamed of my chains. Thank you. Do you realize that there are believers all over the world right now in prisons, in chains, because all they've done is be willing when they're confronted to say, yes, I believe in him. And they're in prison. China right now is having massive problems because of that. That they are going into churches just this week, going into churches, and if they have a Ten Commandments sign, they're taking off the first commandment and saying, you can't have that one, the other ones we'll deal with. Taking the crosses off the tops of churches. And those believers in their churches are going to have to make a decision on where they take their stand. And they've said, we're not trying to overthrow the government. We want to submit to the government. We're fine with that, but we can't not say God's first. You want us to say that the country's first. I can't do that. Can I just tell you that there are a lot of Americans who put the country first way before God? We don't have a problem with that. Should we respect our country? Should we be grateful that we have freedom and citizen? Absolutely, Paul was. That's why he's in prison is because he appealed to his citizenship and said, I'm a Roman citizen, you just can't execute me. I get trial. He goes on and he says, instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. I love that. He says, look, don't be ashamed. Instead of feeling shame, instead of trying to like make excuses for me being in prison, like Timothy, don't worry about that. What I want you to do is instead share in the suffering of the gospel, relying on God's power. See, there's no way you can suffer for God's sake, for his name, if you're not doing it in his power. If you're doing it in your own strength, like, hey, God, look how I'm suffering for you. God says that's despicable. That's called works. And that doesn't work. God says, no, 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 no. If you're trying to, to, to show me how you suffer and you look at me, look at me, that's all about you. But if you're like, God, I don't want to suffer, but whatever you want, my life is yours. Tell me what to do. That's a different heartbeat. And that's what Paul's telling to Timothy. He's saying, look, you rely on God's power. Don't, don't try to guard me. Don't try to guard. You just rely on the power of God. And I'm telling you, if you do that in the culture we live in, in the last days we live in where they're at, you're going to be where I am in prison and Nero's going to kill the people you love. Sorry, that's where we're at in history. Can I just tell you that right now we're in a place in history where it is not going to go well for Christians over the next decade to 20 years if 
we stand for Christ and the culture doesn't change. You're going to lose jobs. You're going to lose opportunities. If you truly are willing to stand and make his name known, it's not going to go well for you most likely. Could that change? Absolutely. There have been times of revival and change. I'm not saying that can't change and we should pray for that change. But can I tell you, it's probably not going to go well for you. It's already not going well for people who are getting sued for standing up for what they believe and not doing certain things and they're being sued and losing their entire livelihoods in legal fees. It's happening as we speak. He goes on and he says this, he has saved us. I love this. So Paul says, you need to think about the fact that this is going to be hard and you have to be willing to lay down your life. And the next thing he says is, and remember, it's not you who saves yourself. You're not suffering for you to get in good with God. It's he who saves us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given, that's a gift, to us And he uses the term again, in the Messiah who is Yahweh saves before time began. He uses the same term. He's like, and it's all about the whole book. And then he says, this has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior. And he uses the term again that we just overlook, Messiah who is Yahweh saves, which sums up the whole Bible, who abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The gospel is the good news about our sin that we're forgiven, that we can have everlasting life because of the free gift that Jesus offers. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald. That's someone who cries out the truth from the person, the authority that gave them that truth, an apostle and a teacher. And that is why I suffer these things. He's like, I'm not suffering for my own benefit. I've already got all the benefits. I'm already saved. I'm already in with Christ. The reason I'm choosing to suffer is for you, Timothy. It's for the people you love. It's for everybody else that I'm willing to stay in this prison and not back down because there are Romans watching to see if Paul will cave. And he's like, I don't have to worry. I know where I'm going to be and I'm not caving. And they can string me up. They can crucify me upside down. They can burn me at the stake. I'm not caving because it's more important that my God gets the glory than I get my safety. That's what he's saying, which is just powerful. And then he says, look at this. That's why I suffer But I am not ashamed because I know. Let me ask you, do you know? Do you know the one whom you've believed? See, most of us believe in ourselves, our own power, our own strength. And we can muster up enough like, you know, self-energy and self-empowerment to do something. And he's like, that doesn't work. You've got to know this God well and guard that. And he says, whom I've believed and I'm persuaded that he is able to guard. I love this. So Paul's telling Timothy, you need to guard. And then he comes back around and he says, but it's bigger than that because we have a God that's guarding him, his glory, that's guarding his message, that's guarding what he wants to have accomplished in the world, even in the midst of the mess. And he looks at Timothy and he says, I know God will guard my soul and he'll guard yours. And that's the message we have to tell people that you have a guard to fight alongside with. It won't leave you. They won't forsake you. That when you're locked shield to shield like the Romans do, he's not running. He's there in the midst of it and he will die with you. You want to know why I know that? Because he died for me. He goes on and he says, look at this, I love this. 
He will guard what's been entrusted to me until my last day, until that day. Until my last day, he's going to guard what's been entrusted. So he tells Timothy, hold to the pattern of sound teaching that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. He uses it again. The Messiah who is Yahweh saves. He keeps saying it over and over again. And then he looks and he says, you now, because of the guard you have, you respond to that guard by guarding through the Holy Spirit who lives in us that good thing entrusted to you. See, it, it, it's a both and. It's like you've, you've been invited to be in God's army, to, to be a part of his soldiering. But his soldiering's different. His soldiering isn't going out and getting people. His soldiering is going out and using defensive tactics, tactics to try to make sure that the gospel and his love is known. And he says, guard through the Holy Spirit. Because see, here's what we want to do. We want to guard in our own strength. And he says, you can't guard this if you're not in the Holy Spirit. If you're not walking with God, if you're not in his word, if you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to convict you and walk and be around believers, because the Bible says that wherever two or more are gathered, his spirit is there. Wherever two or more believers are gathered, his spirit's there. So when you say, I can do this on my own, no, you can't. That's not God's intended plan. His intended plan is to build a people, a family, and to send them out. And he says, guard it through the spirit, that good thing entrusted to you. Let me ask you, do you believe that the gospel is a good thing? Do you believe that the consequences that come from believing in Christ and the decisions that have to be made that are different than everybody else, the financial decisions, the calendar decisions, the family decisions, the personal decisions, do you believe those decisions have been entrusted to you to glorify him and show the world a different God, a different life? Because that's what he's telling Timothy he has to do. And then he wraps up and he says, this you know. He's like, look, I can look at you guys and say, I'm not saying anything new. You come here and like, yeah, 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 I've heard this. Yeah, hear it. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, Holy Spirit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know it all. I'm going to repeat it, Paul says, over and over and over again. Because we forget very easily, but you know this. And then he says, all those in Asia have turned away from me. Paul says, one of the signs to see if you truly believe is your willingness to suffer. He goes, when the suffering hit Asia, they all turned and ran. They refused to believe, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. How'd you like to be those guys? Like, he wrote this when they were alive. You realize that, right? Like, like we read it now, we're like, who are those guys? Like, they would have read the letter in the church and been like, whoa, he called them out. Like, wow, their name's still written down. Like, ouch. I thought we weren't supposed to talk bad about people. No. He says, Timothy, you need to be careful of those who are unwilling to guard the truth. That they'll just go for whatever truth that they want. They're unwilling to guard. And these two guys have been leading the charge in Asia. They are, they are abandoning the truth about the gospel. And then he says, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus. Because he has often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my change. I love that. He's like... He keeps coming to Rome to help Paul out. And you know he's being watched, right? Like they're watching him. Eh, we got to watch that guy. It's like, I don't care if you watch me. Fine, put me in prison with me. Then we can sing together. We can praise God together for as long as you keep Paul in prison. That's fine. But I'm going to keep visiting my brother Paul because I love him, because I know he's called by God, and that's what God would want me to do. And he keeps going. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, look at this. 
When he was in Rome, he diligently searched for me and found me. They kept having to move Paul around because people would try to find Paul to get a word from him. So the Romans kept trying to hide him so they couldn't find him and he couldn't get the gospel out and send these letters out, right? And this guy's like wandering around looking for him, risking his life. Hey, I'm looking for Paul. You know, the Christian guy that's in print, or are you one of them? Absolutely. Just looking for him. Like, that's this guy. And then he says, may the Lord grant that he obtain mercy from him on that day. Paul's like, man, look at his faith. I just, I just pray God would grant him so much mercy on that day. Like, wow. Then he goes on. He says, and you know very well how much he ministered at Ephesus. In other words, Timothy, you remember how much he helped us. This guy's the real deal. These other two guys, they're going to turn and run for whatever their heart chases. But you know our friend who's the real deal. He goes on, finally says this. You therefore, my son. He comes back around, right? He starts with, you're my son. You're my spiritual son. I have a relationship with you that, that just feels like the father and the son. Like it, and he goes, you therefore, my son. Be strong in the grace that is in the Messiah who is Yahweh saves. Let me ask you, are you strong in grace? Do you beat yourself up so much that you can't believe that God would ever forgive you? That he'd ever love you? He could, he could never forgive that? That you could never deal with that sin because the consequences of dealing with that sin would just be too much, so it's better to just not deal with it. Because there's a God who says, I want to give you my grace, my unmerited favor. And the access to that is through my son. There's no other way to access it. Because it's through the son that you finally humble yourself and say, it's not about me, it's not about my works. It's about him and what he wants. And you go, I'm yours. And that's what he's saying. And then he look, he says, and what you have heard from me, Timothy, in the presence of many people. In other words, I just didn't tell you. I tell everybody I meet about this. Commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He says, Timothy, there's all kinds of different people out there. I'm telling you that you need to look to guard those relationships that help you be strong in the grace of God. That help you experience the forgiveness, confession of sin, to see the full picture of our God. You need to be strong in those relationships. Because if you're not, there's going to be problems. And if it ends with you, Timothy, and you're not teaching others, and you're not raising up a next generation that will guard, that's going to be a problem. And he looks at him and he says, you've got to commit this to faithful men because you may be put in prison as well, which Timothy was. He was put in prison. And who have you committed it to? See, it's not about you. It's not about you making it happen. It's, it's about a God that you can trust in and point people to. And then he says, share in suffering as a good soldier. Of who? The Messiah who is Yahweh saves. He's the one that's going to save us so you don't have to worry when you go out to fight each day. He's going to save us. He's going to provide for us. And that's the beauty. He says, if you would just share in that suffering, you would see such a glorious picture. 
But when you're so afraid and when you're trying to protect your image and protect yourself, you'll never get that close with God. You'll never fully have that relationship with Him. It's real and beautiful because you won't share in what Christ shared. You want to know why so many people are willing to believe in Jesus? Because out of all the gods and all the deities and all the religions that you read about, he's the only one that was willing to give up his rights and share in our suffering. All the rest of them wanted palaces. All the rest of them wanted glory here on this earth. Jesus was the only one that said, it doesn't end that way for the people, so it's not going to end that way for me while I'm alive. But there's resurrection. And in the resurrection, it's all about me. So he calls us to do the same, to tell people that we're in our last days, that you're going to be in your last days someday. And and what is your life about? Is it about Yahweh who saves, who's the Messiah of the world? Or is it about you and which God fits you and that you add to? And what is it that you guard? What relationships do you guard? Can I just encourage you to become a guard for the gospel? For his name's sake, that that you would guard like you did this morning coming to church. My lack of faith to think we probably won't have many, weather's bad. I look around and I see believers who said, not today. I'm guarding today. I'm here. I'm going to guard this day. I'm going to guard this time to come and worship with other believers and be with my church family. That's a powerful, that's no small thing. It's also about guarding our time in terms of our small group, our our quiet times. Do do you look to really say, God, I want to give you first and guard you and my relationship with you first? And if you look in your life and you say, I'm not doing that, God says, that's okay. I'd like to extend grace, love, and peace to you so we can start that relationship again and again and again and keep it going. And for those of you who have never had a relationship with a God like this and you've never committed, you've never surrendered, I would challenge you, what else does God have to do to prove himself? There is no other God that's given his life, that's laid down his life when he didn't have to. He could have called down angels from heaven and he said, I did it because I want my Father's glory to be made known in those who believe. 